2: Thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: 72 hours of violence, and Donald Trump continues to preach hate. What do you say, everybody? Here we go on a Monday, whoa, Mo- Monday, October 29, almost over this month of October, and your weekend weekend. Uh, Given the news of the weekend, the terrible, tragic news of the weekend, uh, I hope you still were able to uh, make best use of the weekend, uh, enjoy yourself, uh, and have some time to kick back with your friends and family and recharge your batteries, watch a little great baseball with Red Sox wrapping up last night, and ready to move into this big week. With only eight days left now until the midterm elections and signs, uh, I saw this morning nine more Democratic seats flipping from uh, toss-up to likely Democratic wins, move looking very good for the uh, Democrats in the House of Representatives, and the more better Democrats do in the House, I believe the better they're going to do in the United States Senate as well. It all comes down to turnout, turnout, turnout. Get out and vote. That is going to be our message here on the Bill Press Show for the next eight days. You're not going to get it. I've already voted, okay? Vote early if you can, if you're in a state where you can vote early. But it's turnout, turnout, turnout. And of course, lots of news coming up here. And you know the big subjects that we have to talk about uh, the uh, serial bummer. Uh, the shooting the church, uh, the shooting at a grocery store down in Kentucky, which could have been a church shooting. That's what he wanted. And the tragic mass murder out at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Your comments on all of the above and on Donald Trump's role in all of the above and setting the tone. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show on Twitter. But first... <laughs>
3: This is the Full Court Press. Just
2: a couple of other stories making news here on a Monday. 8, 12, 13, 19, 27, and the Powerball number of 4.
3: Those Stop are your rubbing winning
2: it in. Power Didn't Ball, make it again. <laughs> You're winning Powerball numbers that were called over the weekend. Yeah. Two people did win. Two people will share the $688 million jackpot, which really... million at this point. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. But after last week's hysteria over the billion dollars, over a billion dollars. Uh, So here's the deal. Somebody won it, apparently from a bodega in Harlem. Yeah. And the other person won it at a remote convenience store in Redfield, Iowa, a town that has the population... Of eight hundred people.
1: Oh my God!
2: Can God it, bless
1: him. Gonna yeah. be hard
2: to stay anonymous yeah. if you win. If you win the Powerball in Redfield, mm, Iowa. Right, right. So you didn't. They win. might
1: get a new trailer.
2: They might. Yeah, they might. But you didn't win. You're still here. No, you I didn't. didn't win.
1: But the guy in New York, I understand. In New York, you can remain anonymous. You can.
2: Yeah, yeah you absolutely can. Right. Uh, so. I don't know if anybody's going to come forward. They certainly don't have to in New York, but we will find out. As you, I showed
1: up today, didn't I? <laughs> you did show up. Yes. yes, you did. I didn't win.
2: You did show up. Very. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't talk a lot of NFL here on the show, but yesterday we have a new all-time points leader in the NFL. When you think about who scored the most points in the NFL, you might think of quarterback or a wide receiver no it is a kicker adam vinatieri the Whoa. indianapolis colts kicker oh because you got to think after every touchdown he three, gets a point three, three. and then you get the field goals he kicked a yeah. field goal yeah. yesterday a 25 yarder with 29 seconds left in the first half which brought his career total to 2,544 points that is the new record now he beat the previous record holder who was also a kicker morton anderson yeah, uh, he held okay. the record so I think we're seeing a trend here if you're a kicker yeah a I good also think this is up. unfair oh what do you, you think is two, unfair
1: you have two categories kicker scores and running scores r- r- running or passing or catching yeah, scores yes, yeah alright
2: alright that's fair
1: not that I want to just totally remake the <laughs> NFL I'd rather <laughs> just get rid of
2: it yeah exactly
1: This is The Bill Press Show. After the deadliest attack on Jews in this country, at the synagogue in Pittsburgh on Saturday, Donald Trump says, let's tone it down. Then he turns right around and starts spewing more hate against his political enemies. Hello, everybody. There it is. This guy we got to deal with. It gets worse and worse. He's just not up to the job, not up to the moment setting the absolutely wrong tone for this time where we should be in mourning and forget about that political uh, political vial uh, that he throws around. Great to see you today. It is a Monday, Monday, October 29. This is The Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 and welcome to the program. Wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, we're right there alongside of you. We're on there, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it? Looking at you on Free Speech TV, America's only full-time, 24-7 progressive cable TV network. Check it out. Free Speech. uh, And we're there with you also on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And uh, we love joining you out in Chicago and all around Chicago on the great WCPT, the Bill Press Show, this Monday, October 29. Yes, indeed, we will talk about the 72 hours of violence, uh, three triple attacks of uh, incidences of violence. Of course, the uh, serial bombing, which wrapped up Saturday with the arrest of that suspect in Florida. The uh, shooting at a Kroger's down in Kentucky from a man who tried but failed to uh, you know, bring back the memory of Dylan Roof by shooting up an African American church. And then, of course, the man who walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh on Saturday morning. We'll bring you up to date on all that, the ampl- ramifications of it as well, and who we think has set the tone for that kind of violence. Other news, Megan Kelly is out of a job at NBC. The Red Sox, they're out of a job. They did the job, man, last night with that big 5-1 to score over the Dodgers, wrapping up the World Series, uh, and two great games back-to-back over the weekend. I mean, phew. Three, Insane, I guess, right? Insane, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Dodgers picking up one on Friday and then boom, boom.
2: Friday night, the game went 18, 18 innings,
1: seven hours and 20 minutes. You got the two longest, ball games
2: in one. I know. <laughs> you
1: know, and I watched until maybe about like the fifth inning or so, six, I forget now, but I just had to care. Everyone's going, and I just said, Yeah, I'm not going to stay up and watch this. I'm glad I didn't, right? No. In fact, I think it was like the eighth inning I, I, I pop, pop dropped out well i didn't little i know that they had another nine innings to right, go ten innings to game. go yeah and a whole nother ball game
2: i didn't stay up to watch any of it on on friday night but i, I woke up very very early on saturday morning and there were still people who were up from watching <laughs> oh, the game the night before
1: <laughs> yeah and i watched all the way to the end saturday until about midnight yeah. our time right yeah. or after midnight our time uh when um, and that game went back and forth. It was pretty, really, very exciting. It looked like the Dodgers were going to pick up another game than the Red Sox. they are
4: incredible.
2: I mean this Red this Red Sox team, uh, really, yeah. if you were watching all season, or you were paying attention all season. Like this is one of the most dynamic offensive powerhouses that we've ever seen in baseball. They're so mean, good.
1: I forget the, the exact number, but like the Red Sox picked up like in the one inning like five runs. When there were two outs.
2: That's the thing. They've done that all season, by the way. Yeah. That's the crazy thing.
1: And most of the announcers were saying, you know, most teams, you get two outs, right, you just sort of give up the fire. uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. They just get started. Yeah.
2: It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Insane. This is so. the confidence that they had all season long.
1: Oh, so. yeah. Incredible. Uh, and um, and Barack Obama out on the campaign trail uh, as well. So there is uh, lots of news to talk about, and uh, we want to hear from you, your comments, Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Yes, indeed, Friday. Uh, Thanks to Sabrina Siddiqui uh, for being here. And uh, congratulations, I understand, Peter, to Sabrina Siddiqui. Did she make the big announcement? Oh, I got it. Okay, okay. Well, we'll tell you. We'll let you know about that. But uh, uh, Sabrina might have some, might, just might have some news to share. We, uh, thanks to Sabrina for filling in on Friday. Wasn't here Friday, but it was shortly after the show Friday that, <coughs> Pardon me. word got out in fact I was at the gym and I got a text uh, from a friend of mine saying uh, a good source saying arrest just made in Florida and I was thinking God I got to get this news to somebody uh, and I turned around I was at a locker room I turned around and who was at the two lockers down from me Jake Tapper
2: <laughs> oh wow
1: and I said, uh Jake, I got some news. <laughs> you know he couldn't believe it. Yeah. nobody was re- nobody had it at that time. Nobody was reporting it. so uh uh anyhow, I, I put Jake on the job. Yeah, and, get uh, to
2: work, Jake, uh, get to work
1: yeah right there he is uh, and uh anyhow and it turned out to be this absolute nut down in Florida uh, a as we were not I was not surprised to find out at all, a great big sick trumper. Uh, in a van that had nothing all over the windows, not just on the bumper sticker. You've seen the pictures. The van with all kinds of ugly, hate-filled stickers on it. CNN sucks. Hillary with a target on her. All these pro-Trump things, anti-immigrant, anti-media stickers all over it. I mean, he was. And, of course, pictures of him soon out wearing his red MAGA hat, the MAGA bomber. Uh, uh, people have been calling him, uh, and uh, and the number of bombs continued even after he'd been arrested because they were already in the mail. I think it was uh, ended up maybe being fourteen bombs, right? Um, and the last ones were sent to um, uh, Senator Cory Booker, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, Tom Steyer, in addition to the earlier ones that had gone to uh, George Soros and to Hillary Clinton, uh, Bar- Barack Obama. Right down right down the list. All Democrats, all people that Donald Trump himself had personally called out. Uh, uh, fortunately, none of those bombs went off. Nobody was injured by any of those bombs. Good work on the part of the FBI and good work on the part of the Postal Service uh, as as well. Uh, and um, then Donald Trump, of course, he goes out um, Friday night, same night, same night. The guy's arrested. One of his supporters targeting the very people that Donald Trump had targeted. Donald Trump targeted him with hate words. This guy was targeting them with bombs. And Donald Trump goes out Friday night at a big rally in Charlottesville. And what does he do? He blames the media.
3: And they do indeed, they have a major role to play as far as tone and as far as everything.
1: Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm not sure what I said, but uh, it was that. that's where it was. Yeah, but again, this guy it, it, fanning the flames of blaming the media for setting the hateful tone, which he himself, of course, sets. Uh, Donald Trump, again, down in Charlotte, saying they're just lying.
3: We have seen an effort by the media in recent hours to use the sinister actions of one individual— To score political points against me and the Republican Party.
1: No, 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 no. What did the media do? They pointed out that everyone, every person who is a target of the bomb, everyone that one of these bombs was sent to was a Democrat that Donald Trump had by name attacked. Where did this guy get his list of targets? Right from Donald Trump himself. That's not scoring points, that's reporting, that's connecting the dots. That's the job of reporters. Uh, Donald Trump again saying the media, they're always unfair to me.
3: The media's constant unfair coverage, deep hostility, and negative attacks, you know that, only serve to drive people apart and to undermine healthy debate.
1: Yeah, how about uh, the tone that Donald Trump set of driving people apart? That's why most Americans, something like 72% say he's the most divisive president we've ever seen uh, in our history. That's exactly what Donald Trump does. Of course he does. He does it at every single rally. You know, as I pointed out on CNN Thursday or Friday, you know, you look at Donald you look at the rhetoric, you look at the tone Donald Trump has said that Democrats are not just the opposition party. He said Democrats are evil. He said Democrats are the mob. These are the words he used. He said Democrats are dangerous, too dangerous to govern. This is a president who praised a member of Congress for body slamming a reporter and saying, anybody can body slam a reporter, that's my kind of guy. This is a president when he was a candidate who urged people to punch out protesters and promised to pay their legal fees. This is a president who's accused George Soros of paying criminals, terrorists, unknown Middle Easterners in this caravan to come to the United States and do harm here to Americans in the United States. This is the guy, this is is the man who is out, that's his rallies, what was it? Uh, Governor Cuomo from New York said he's the head of the American hate parade. It's exactly what Donald Trump is. It's not the media spreading the stone. It is Donald Trump. So that's Friday. And then we also had this killing down in Kentucky, uh, a man who tried to get in a, a black church, uh, was unable to, went to a Kroger's uh, store and, uh, and shot and killed two African-Americans. Uh, down in Kentucky, again, targets, African-American targets, specific. That's the thing about all three of these incidents were specifically target against certain people, one because of political party, second because of their race, and the third incident, of course, Saturday, this tragic shooting out at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, 11 people killed, uh, and the people who they say, the people of, who knew them said were the real heart beating heart as uh, what they were called of this synagogue uh, one of the doctors uh, doc- Dr. Carl Williams who is a medical examiner in Pittsburgh um, read the names of the victims listen to the names their ages they included a 97 year old woman two brothers who were there together men and a wife in their 80s there together here's the list 75-year-old Joyce Feinberg of Oakland, uh,
2: 65-year-old Richard Gottfried of Ross Township, 97-year-old Rose Mallinger of Squirrel Hill, 66-year-old Jerry Rabinowitz of Edgewood, uh, 59-year-old Cecil Rosenthal of Squirrel Hill, 54-year-old David uh, uh, Rosenthal, um, uh, David uh, and Cecil Rosenthal were brothers, Uh, 84-year-old Bernice Simon of Wilkinsburg, 86-year-old Sylvan Simon of Wilkinsburg, Bernice and Sylvan were husband and wife, 71-year-old Daniel Stein (coughs) of Squirrel Hill, 88-year-old Melvin Wax of Squirrel Hill, and 69-year-old Irving Youngner of Mount Washington. Ninety-seven uh, years can old. Can you believe? Ninety-seven yeah, years old. Eighty-four years old. Yeah, you hear you that. I mean,
1: mean, you hear that list, and you just oh, think, I mean, God, it's so tragic. In a place of worship on a Saturday morning, the one place you would think that anybody would feel safe and should feel safe, and
2: what? By the way, my 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 initial reaction when I saw the list of people. Uh, and their ages, is it reminded me a lot of the Charleston shooting with Dylan Roof, who was a white yeah. supremacist, in the sense that he went, he targeted the elders of the community. Of that,
1: of, of that uh, church.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just Mother like- Mother Emanuel Church. When you wipe those people out, it's such an especially cruel blow to uh, any community yeah, at all.
1: And that's what they said about the synagogue. These people were really the heart of, totally. that, of that synagogue. Uh, And from what we know, what fueled uh, this killer uh, in in Pittsburgh? Hatred for Jews, anti-Semitism, listen to this, particularly hatred for Jews because they supported refugees and some of them were supporters of the caravan heading to the United States. And who has made an issue of the caravan and who has made an issue of, of a prominent American Jew whom he says, alleges, without any evidence, lies, is paying for the caravan, Mr. George Soros? Of course, it's Donald Trump who made that connection. So, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm off this wagon of saying there's nobody to blame for this. B.S. Yes, there is. And I'm not saying it's all Republicans. It's certainly not all Democrats. It's one man. It is Donald Trump himself. It is Donald Trump Who has spewed this hatred. It is Donald Trump who has set the tone. It is Donald Trump who identified every single one of the people who were targets of the MAGA bomber. And it is Donald Trump who is specifically, and several times, by the way, um, made sort of acceptable or encouraging or refused to condemn, put it that way, anti-Semitism in this country. And has directly attacked one prominent Jew and again accused him and others of supporting um, illegal immigration, open borders, even terrorists or criminals coming into the United States. The very last tweet of the killer in Pittsburgh, I don't even want anyone mention his name, he talks about a Jewish refugee organization that since the days of Ellis Island have been helping refugees come into this country including more recently some from Iraq, uh, people who had been helping our military in Iraq, people from Syria. Uh, the organization H, the initials are H-I-A-S. I think I want to send them a check. They're doing great work. Um, and I'm uh, look, looking for the exact full name of it. i um, oh, have to give it to you. H-I-A-S later. But anyhow, his last tweet was, H-I-A-S likes to bring invaders in that kill our people. I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics. I'm going in.
2: That's it right there. That's it. That's the problem. When you have, and look, there are mental problems that we should talk about and all of that, right? But when you you are addressing such a large group of people— at such a large group of your supporters and a large group of the country, when you're the president of the United States, you have to be careful because it's very, very easy for your message to get convoluted and turned around in someone's head to where they think that they have to act on this, right? Yeah. We've seen this with yeah, absolutely. You know, doctors who provide abortions getting gunned down. Words have consequences.
1: How many times have,
2: have we said it? You How know, many times can you say it? You know, the thing that I kept hearing in my head over and over again all weekend, whether it was the, the MAGA bomber or the shooting in Pittsburgh, and we played this clip last week. This is just the end of it. Andrew Gillum talking to Ron DeSantis and their debate where he said, Now, I'm yep. not calling
5: Mr. DeSantis a racist. I'm simply saying the racists believe he's a racist.
2: And that, I think, is something that every Republican politician, because, yeah, it is Donald Trump who's saying these things, but he's got plenty of enablers. All of these enablers are making it easy to be racist and to actually act on those things. Remember,
1: Donald Trump after Charlottesville, right? Good so people on both and sides. And when there were people, the anti, the white nationalists, the neo Nazis, the anti Semites marching there, chanting, "The Jews will not replace us. The Jews will not replace us." What did Donald Trump say? There were some very fine people among that group. Some very fine people among there. Yeah, show me one very fine anti Semite. Mr. President, uh, and of course, then Donald Trump goes out in the wake of this uh, mass murder. Uh, he and he says, of course, oh now we gotta tone it down. Yeah, gotta tone this is out in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Tone it down.
3: And if you don't mind, I'm gonna tone it down just a little bit. Is that okay? No. <laughs> I had, Well, you're from Illinois. I had a feeling you might say that. I know you well. I had a feeling you might say that.
1: You see what I mean? So he doesn't turn it down. He's just making a joke out of it. Yeah. 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 He's basically mocking people who suggest that his tone might have been wrong. In other words, he's saying to these people, I'll continue to do exactly what I do. I'll continue to spew hate. I'll continue to attack these people. And in fact, at the rally Saturday night, Friday night in uh, Charlotte, the people were chanting lock her up about hillary lock him up this time about george soros so the that very night target one of the targets two of the targets of the bomber the crowd is chanting lock her up lock him up and donald trump loves it and they're shouting cnn sucks also a target uh of two two bombs uh, and Donald Trump loves it. Didn't say anything about. It. Didn't say no. We got to put that behind us. No, we can't do that anymore. No, he just makes a joke about uh, having to having to turn it down. And the crowd. And the crowd loves it. But like sick. Th- That's sick. Sick. all he sick. wants. Yeah.
2: That's all he really wants. He doesn't want to lead. He doesn't want to help the country. He doesn't want to do any of that. He just wants this crowd of honking gomers to just <laughs> pat him on the back and lift him up, and so when he tries to make a joke out of the tone that he's mm-hmm. that he's setting in the country, and they don't want it. No, no. And then the and sat- he knew they wouldn't want it.
1: Saturday night, same again. The very night of the shooting, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I'm watching the ball game. You might And I, suddenly, my phone goes off. What's going on? It's a tweet from Donald Trump, who is tweeting. About the World Series, about the fact that the Dodgers manager or the Red Sox, I forget which one, took out a certain pitcher he thought was a stupid mistake. That's what he's tweeting about. And then Sunday morning, he sees Tom Steyer, again, who had just received a bomb, was sent to him at any rate, didn't personally get it. And Donald Trump says, what a wacky lunatic. Tom Sayers. So he is verbally attacking a president who just just was sent a bomb. And basically encouraging hate crimes. These are three hate crimes. And in, and in certain ways, Donald Trump, by his tone, by his rhetoric, by his words, encouraged every single, every single one of them. Uh, it's just disgusting. And he's got to be held responsible. And boy, we have a chance again. We have a chance on a week from tomorrow, just eight days away. And it all depends on this. I'm going, this is a running theme of this show from now until November November 6th. Turnout, turnout, turnout. Don't you even think about not voting, right? you got to get out there. And if you can vote early, I already have. If you can vote early, vote early. Get that one in the bank.
2: I have to tell you, uh, I, I went and did early voting on Friday. Well, cool. Good I live in you. a fairly sleepy suburb of Washington, uh-huh. D.C., yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've been voting at the same place for many, many years now. Never a crowd when I go. Always very easy in, out, mm-hmm. in, out. It took me it took me some time on Friday because there were lines to vote for early voting. I, there's ne- that's never happened. I know mm. I don't normally do early voting. I usually vote on election day. Uh, but when I went for early voting, the every single uh, voting booth was occupied when I got there. And there was a line probably 30 people deep cool. waiting to get in there. Yeah. yeah, So, I mean, again, this is just <laughs> anecdotal, but like enthusiasm's out there, for sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, another little sign of that, this was a, uh, this. let me see, Sunday. Yesterday's New York Times, those of you who are watching on television can see, full-page ad uh, put out by The Skim. Uh, and it says, No excuse, vote. 2018, that's the uh, website, and a little movement that got started. It's so a full-page ad. They say millennials won't show up to vote. We say they're wrong. See you November 6th. And these are the signatures of, I don't know, what, how many people? Thousands on this page of, of millennials who are going to vote. Uh, and that's buttressed by um, a little survey out this morning by the Institute of Politics up at Harvard. Uh, that reported in their latest survey among 18 to 29 year olds, okay, so millennials, um, 40. It's 40 percent. Definitely say they will definitely vote. Come on, we got to get that better than that. But that's higher than either 2010 or 2014, the last two midterms. 40 percent, and among those, 54 percent of Democrats say they will definitely vote. of Republicans. Donald Trump's approval rating among millennials, by the way, 26%. Oof. Yeah, even that's high for me. (laughs) 26%. So there's a good sign uh, that that the movement is there, the enthusiasm is there. Again, got to stress it, you yourself. Make sure you're registered. Make sure you get out to vote. Make sure all of your friends do, all of your family do. And starting to see a little action there. Uh, one person we've criticized for not being out there enough, Barack Obama was back, went out to Detroit bit on a big get-out-the-vote rally in Detroit, uh, calling about these Republicans. We've never seen a president or a party that lies so
4: much. What we have not seen before, in our recent public life at least, is politicians just blatantly, repeatedly, baldly, shamelessly lying.
1: Yeah. Obama, Barack Obama, in good form there. And he said, here's, here's one big lie. They're trying to pretend that they actually support pre-existing, uh, protections for people with pre-existing conditions.
4: They all say they'll protect your pre-existing conditions. The current Justice Department is in court right now trying to strike those protections down.
1: Yeah, big lie. Another big lie. Donald Trump says they're going to give a tax cut between now and next Tuesday Tax cut to the middle class.
4: The president said he he was going to pass a middle class tax cut before the election. Congress isn't even in session before the election.
2: <laughs> By the way, we'll read some of your Twitter comments after the break here. But well, we did put up a poll this morning all about the very blatant obvious lies uh, that yeah. they're putting out there.
1: Uh, and finally, uh, the president, uh, president Obama having a lot of fun with uh, all the uh, indictments we've seen so far. From uh, special counsel, Robert Mueller.
4: Turns out in Washington, they've now racked up enough indictments to, to, to
3: field a football team. <laughs>
5: uh,
1: and by the way, one other little uh, political note before we uh, take a break here. Uh, and that is the Border Patrol, Donald Trump's people, the Border Patrol, they're in a little hot water with the Trump White House because they endorsed some candidates for public office, and the Border Patrol actually endorsed three Democrats. Whoops. They endorsed this is a, this is, okay, you gotta get this. So Donald Trump is out there campaigning against these three Democratic senators because they're for open borders, he says. He's campaigning against them because they're not going to keep the border safe. They're not strong enough on immigration. And the Border Patrol, which does the job, which, by the way, is a pretty right-wing organization. It's all law enforcement union. The Border Patrol, they endorsed John Tester and Heidi Heitkamp and Claire McCaskill. All three that Donald Trump—isn't that cool?
2: That's amazing. All
1: three that Donald Trump has campaigned against. So, lots going on. we got a little going to uh, take a little break from politics at the very end of the show today, uh, by the way, and take a look at some uh, the future challenges, look into the future. What challenges do we face as a country, as a state, as a people? Um, Igor Volsky, head of Guns Down, is going to join us at the top of the next hour. And we start off uh, right coming up after this break with Alan Pike from Think Progress, who's been doing a lot of reporting on hate crimes in America It is The Bill Press Show on this Monday, October 29. Good to have you with
2: us. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show.
1: And here we are on this Monday, October 29. Hello, folks. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us uh, as we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and thanks today to the International Association of Firefighters, great men and women of our firefighting departments all across this land. Uh, on the front lines, protecting American families every day. Thanks for their support of the program. Their website, under the leadership of President Harold Schaetberger, is I-A-F-F, IAFF.org. Uh, in studio with us from the great Think Progress, our good friend uh, Alan Pike, who's been uh, tracking a lot of these Hate crimes. Joining us today, hi, Alan. Good hey, to Bill. see you. Good to see you too. And uh, we know that uh, you know we've been here beating the drum here for the last half hour or so, uh, and joined by uh, viewers and listeners around the country with their comments. Peter.
2: Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at bp show at bp show. I mentioned we put up a poll uh, that we were going to put up a poll. <laughs> uh, it's up now. It's live. Will the GOP's blatant lies about health care and pre-existing conditions hurt them? during the midterms of 2018 uh hasn't been up very long but as of now 68 percent of you say yes it will hurt them 32 percent say no uh we also got plenty of comments about the terror attacks here in america uh holly tooker says the scariest of all is the realization that i had that if the MAGA bomber had succeeded a third of the united states would have cheered Chris Hsu says, when you say that it's okay to hate Mexicans and Muslims, it's a permit to hate whoever they want to hate. Trump definitely bears responsibility for these attacks. Uh, And also, um,
1: if you look at the victims or the intended victims of all three of these attacks and you look at Donald Trump's rhetoric, you cannot you you have to make that connection. You cannot help. You cannot deny that connection. Absolutely. Unless you're, you know, a nutty. Trumper yeah. supporter to come to these rallies.
2: And uh, on the voting, specifically early voting, which we just talked about, and millennials voting, uh, KG says millennials must get out and not only vote but vote early, particularly in red states. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. And
1: early indications that I've seen from exit polls are that the uh, early vote is uh, favoring the Democrats. Just keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. So, Alan, uh, last week uh, the word immediately, even from the president of the United States, is that the, starting with the first of these hate crimes, the uh, the um, serial bombing, yeah, that these were all the work of uh, Democrats, yeah, who were doing it to make Republicans look bad, particularly yeah. to make Donald Trump look bad. Uh, that kind of fell apart, right? Pretty quick.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not not yeah. fast enough to stop another, I don't know, a half a dozen or so uh, uh, sort of mainstream. "Quote unquote," air quotes, mainstream pundits on the right from from beginning to pick that up. And I actually, one of the things that uh, uh, it's sort of my job, our jobs in the media, to to check on when these fir- when these stories first start to break, and especially in that vertiginous period before law enforcement has any actual hard information for anybody. Um, one one of the things I always go check is is 4chan and other uh, right wing havens of ugliness that are you know twenty four seven always on, but that it become especially concentrated and focused on events like this in that in that early period. Um, and people there are, it, it's typical to see people you know, posit that something is a quote-unquote false flag right. attack uh, levied on behalf of the electoral prospects of the Democrats, because if a bunch of people die and it gets blamed on conservatives, then yeah. theoretically Democrats win more elections, although that doesn't really bear out in the actual numbers, but whatever. Um here in this case, the thing that jumped out jumped off the page at me from 4chan was not just that they were saying that, but they were pointing out, guys, it's already happened. We don't we don't have to inject this stuff into the news media anymore. Look at all these pundits who are saying on their own, with the with the slightest of nudges from people like us, from the the crazy gutter Alex Jones corner of the world, um, and this stuff is, is has jumped, seems to have migrated into Lou Dobbs the main bloodstream. Yep.
1: Yep, t- 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 tweeting about yeah. s- uh, some of
5: this and putting people on the air who are yeah. talking about this. Famed, famed uh, cameo yep. on The Good Wife obtainer Lou Dobbs, uh, <laughs> uh, who continues to have a, a television program for reasons that escape me. Um, yeah, uh, has been has been beating the drum on stuff like this for years. And, and one of the things that uh, we've tried to cover consistently, and, and we're trying to remind people of it, I think progress uh, in some of our coverage now as we move past the initial horror of these events is just how long folks like Lou Dobbs and his employers uh, and his peers have been beating this drum. Uh, in particular, the notion that George Soros and other um, mm-hmm. vaguely Jewish in some way connected to a quote unquote globalist scheme. Yeah. Uh, rich people are trying to bend American politics out of whack with what Americans actually want, that they're trying to steal the country from quote-unquote real Americans. And obviously, this is a species of rhetoric that's been around for a long, long time. The, the Bush campaign talked about real Americans and I don't know, the rest of us. Um, going, going back to Goldwater, you've had people vilify uh, and lean on xenophobic populism to gain political traction domestically. The thing that's new, or one thing that's new in this day and age, is the role the Internet plays and, and the way that um, well, online spaces can help to radicalize, further radicalize people who are already inclined to support a Trump. But I would add to that what's new <clears throat> is
1: that we have a president of the United States who is emphatically and and, and directly yes. echoing what these people are saying and encouraging what these people are saying. Yeah. I I mean, word for word almost right after Charlottesville, when whatever this wacky right wing site said, look at, look at that. Right. He didn't, he didn't
5: criticize us.
1: Yep. Yep. They were out and out
5: celebrating. Yeah. yeah,
1: Some very fine people, uh, among us. Right. Uh, and then you look at the conspiracy theory, this whole thing about the caravan, uh, full of criminals, full of terrorists, Paid for by an American Jew, right? George right. Soros, right? Yeah. This guy in Pittsburgh who was anti-Semitic, but he hears that, right? Here it is. this here, The Jews are sending more refugees, more criminals into this country right. to slaughter us, he says. And by the way, and I, I mentioned earlier, it was particularly one organization, the HIAS, which uh-huh. during the break we just found out is the... It's been around for a long, long, long time. Just goes by the initials, but it originally founded as the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. This goes back to Ellis Island. Yeah. Yeah. They and right and, and helping people in who came in and didn't have anywhere to stay or any, you know, what, yeah. helping them find a job, getting in their community. And they've done this with refugees from Syria, from Iraq. I mean this they've continued this work for decades. Wonderful, wonderful, important work. And I'm sure they they welcome some families who come from Latin America too. Right, right, right. Yeah. But the idea that this is some conspiracy to kill Americans, yeah, paid for by prominent Jew George Soros. But when Donald Trump puts that crap out there, right, right, there, there are sick people like him who pick that up and say, "License yeah. to Kill."
5: And and the, the there's a real chicken and the egg uh, question, I think, to to Trump's uh use of this very specific language of the right wing message board poster you know the sort of um i think i think five ten years ago it was it, it was still treated as almost cute um the the sort of oh everybody's got some uncle at the thanksgiving table who's you know who's spending a little too much time on drudge and you know mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. too conversant in the language of info wars and i think and i think. Um, yeah. And, and this is not to say that anybody listening right now who is thinking of a very specific uncle like that, who still fits that description, that you ought to be worried that guy's going to pick up a gun. But I think you ought to be a little bit. I mean, there's a, there's a certain erosion of our ability to isolate this stuff or to, to set this stuff to one side because it's so thoroughly taken over the Republican Party's main communication channels, the Fox, the Fox News echo chamber, has been increasingly defined by not just you know, the Laffer curve and other sort of core uh, civics lies of the conservative political ideology and policy machine, but increasingly by the kind of stuff that that Glenn Beck first brought directly onto Fox's airwaves, sort of said the quiet part loud for for one of the early first times in Fox's history of, look, this is the guy, his name is George Soros. Um, Some people think that he, the only way he escaped the Nazis is because he colluded with them somehow, which is... Uh, uh been totally. refuted a, a number yeah. of times over um, and over and you know and, and Roseanne Barr can tweet that and get fired and they have to write her off of her rebooted show and that is I don't know we spent what a month and a half with that dominating mm-hmm. uh the news this this past spring um this is the much more common use case for this kind of propagandic nonsense is, right. is a white guy with a gun who knows where there are Uh, People he perceives to be his enemies, whether it's a a synagogue in Pittsburgh or a a Kroger uh, with a predominantly black uh, patronage in Kentucky uh, or or the mailing addresses that are publicly available for Soros and Barack Obama and Eric Holder and other public figures he associates with this Uh, fiction. You mentioned Glenn Beck. I just want to remind ourselves just
1: just to take a moment out. That was Glenn Beck who identified this environmental organization. Yeah in San Francisco, who was a the supporter of doing something about climate change as an enemy of the American people who was going to destroy the American economy. And this wacko guy with a whole arsenal in his car was arrested on the Bay Bridge from Texas, I believe. Yeah. Who hears Glenn Beck and says, well, then I've got to take that group out and was on his way. He told cops to that, th- their offices in San Francisco to wipe them all out based on this hate Filled rhetoric uh, of, uh, of of Glenn Beck. And, you know, the other point I make is, you know, I've been around politics a long time and around the media a long time, been doing it for a long time, and there have always been, I've always known, wackos, I mean, yeah. extremists, you hear them, right? but, but on both sides, way out on the fringe, and you sort of realize, oh, my God, there's some really crazy people out there. What's different now is they've become almost mainstream and... They've got their champion in the White House.
5: Yep. Yeah. They have the levers of power. They have control of influence He's over there policy. He's out stoking it up all the time.
1: Yeah. Jonathan Carl from ABC News uh, made this point uh, yesterday, I thought very well, is that the one thing that Donald Trump is incapable of doing is something that we sort of count on the president to do at a moment of what should be a moment of national grief and national mourning and pulling together. Trump is absolutely incapable of doing that. It's not in his genes. Here's Jonathan Carl.
6: The president did not mention the victims. No mention whatsoever of the victims. He did praise law enforcement, and he didn't make his comments about, about armed guards. But he doesn't do that compassion. That thing that we saw Ronald Reagan do after the Challenger went down, that we saw Bill Clinton do after the Oklahoma City bombing, that we saw George W. Bush do after 9-11, that we saw Barack Obama do uh, after the uh, the Sandy Hook uh, massacre, or, or Charleston. This is not what he
1: does. No, Didn't mention the victims. Saturday night he's already out there tweeting about the World Series. Yeah,
5: right? yeah. I was going to say his World Series tweet is, is uh the closest that he can muster to a national moment of coming together and it's not even and it's not even a oh baseball are a great sport thing it's a he's got to find somebody else's job to criticize right, exactly, I mean the thing he figures exactly, everybody's yeah. watching what a dumb cast yeah. to and then and i and i think so a, a friend of mine a friend of mine called me on, first of all i, I i'm glad you played that clip from jonathan carl um i that's that's extremely well put and i think captures something very important um, and I, I would wager that for the sorts of people who've who only get their information, whose entire world and psychological uh, well-being ends up defined by these right-wing echo chambers. Um, and, you know, everywhere they go, the only TV playing has Fox on all at all times. I would wager that folks like that uh, would tell you uh, that we haven't had somebody bring us all together like that since Bush anyway. Like, they would, they would wipe Obama out of that story because... Um, they th- th- part of what's going on here is this toxic backlash. This this intense, uh, uh, carefully manicured, carefully groomed reactionary uh, treatment to anything associated with Barack Obama. And I, gee, uh, I wonder why. You know, we, oh, we yeah, can all right. we can all make but the, the you, easy leap. If there. you
1: remember Mother em- Mother Emanuel Church, right? Barack Obama's eulogy for the victims yeah. there. And if you remember Sandy Hook, yeah. Both times were so powerful. Yeah. No president, no president has ever done and, and, and it. risen and to the moment. Absolutely, better, absolutely. Better. And
5: and and the other thing I remember is is that Fox's the way you knew that it had been, you know, what what everybody needed is that Fox didn't criticize him. They just stopped covering it as quickly as oh, they could. Yeah, pulled away uh, from and, it. You know, and 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 moved on. And and there weren't uh, the kinds of ref- segments reflecting upon the 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 role of presidents in these times of. Uh, of uh, when when healing is needed. So as
1: Jonathan Carl said, he didn't even reference or mention the victims of the slaughter at the Synod, Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And one some one reporter asked him before this shooting Friday, was he planning on calling any of the people who had received these bombs? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Trump said, Oh no, of
5: course not. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh He's, no, I mean, why would
2: I? He's not the president for all American people.
5: Yeah. And and he's a and his entire appeal to people and his entire transactional relationship with his base is built around um, this machismo and and brutishness. Um, I, I think it I think it was Adam sir, where somebody at the Atlantic, wrote a piece a, a couple of weeks or months ago. Um, the headline: "The cruelty is the point." Um, and I think maybe it was pegged to the the moment yeah. in a speech during during the Kavanaugh hearings in a, in a rally speech where he um, where he finally sort of showed his true colors after. Quietly through AIDS, you know, sort of coughing into his sleeve for for the in question, and then and then when he's in front of these crowds, he becomes himself. He becomes but, his yeah, id. like he becomes even his here national. this
1: weekend, yeah. Reportedly, Ivanka and Jared rushed out a little paragraph for him to read, right? About how horrible this is, this attack on the Jewish community, right? We cannot allow anything like this anti-Semitism. Yeah. And then he just turns around and goes right back in character. Gets right back in yeah. character. She yeah. said, goes to a rally. In fact. He he said. We got that by yesterday. Where people were asked, "Well, like you know, seventy-two hours, three hate crimes. Are you going to sort of like slow it down a little bit, maybe?" And no, no. He says, "No, I got to keep these rallies going." Yeah.
5: Yeah. No, it's we got
1: it, keep, the rallies. They're important, right?
5: He understands. He still understands. Hold, we're still going to hold well. these
1: rallies.
3: I don't want to change our life for somebody that's sick hmm. and evil, and I don't think we ever should. I don't think you're
1: should. In fact, it was last week that he said something like, my people want me. My people need me. They're lining up, right, all the time. So yeah. So I got to keep pulling. In fact, uh, I just saw they've scheduled like another rally. I think he's got 11
5: rallies in the yeah. next eight days. Yeah. And his his kid, uh, Eric Trump, was on was on Janine Pirro's show on oh, uh, oh, on Saturday source. night, I think. Yeah, no, it was. It, I, I wrote it up uh, uh, for the site if, if you want to check it out. It's on Think Progress. Um, but Eric Trump was on was on Pirro's show uh, and was even more explicit uh, than than he was in that clip we just heard about trying to frame uh, himself in the same ways that uh, Bush framed the presidency after 9-11. 9/11. Uh, Trump Eric Trump actually specifically invokes the memory of 9-11 sort of we didn't let that interrupt us why would we let this interrupt us and and that's an interesting use of the concept of us right there it's the it's the only time I think you see Trump reach for any sort of uh, illusory inclusive us instead well, of a, a, the focusing on a they and, and vilification of people well, uh, and, actually, and that same night he tweeted a link to an interview conducted by Dana Lash for NRA TV um, Daniel Ash is the face and voice of their ad campaign, um, portraying America as in the midst of a civil war defined as conservatives. You need to go out there and fight back, vi- perhaps physically, uh, against your political enemies.
1: Well, I was just going to say, Eric Trump is also wrong. I mean, pardon me, it didn't last long, but there was a coming together after
6: September Absolutely.
1: 11. Uh, yeah, and uh, remember the famous uh, all members of the Congress standing. On the front steps, singing "America the Beautiful" or "God Bless America" yeah. or whatever yeah. it was, you know. And, yeah, and, and, people, and, and people and George Bush did reach out, went to the synagogue or to the yeah. mosque here in Washington D.C. Uh, so that was a time of healing, but
5: not here. It lasted maybe fifteen minutes, right? If that, right? Yeah, they just want to claim the part of the Bush legacy that was the. Um, if you want to know what you can do for your country, go shopping. Speech uh, <laughs> that he also gave. Uh, they don't the conservative the conservative machine is quite focused on um, memory holding the rest of it um, and and the, the 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 complexity of how uh, George W. Bush tried to engage with the country at that time.
1: And, and what we haven't talked enough about, I guess, in a lot of time here, but what sets these three things apart. I mean, you know, there was Las Vegas worst mass murderer in American history as horrific as it was but these were all hate crimes right yes yeah i mean that's what sets them apart right the yeah. targeting was through liberal democrats who had been critical of donald trump they were targeted based on their political yep. party yep kentucky they were targeted based on the color of their skin yeah pittsburgh they were they were targeted based on their faith yeah uh, all three hate crimes, which, again, raises the stakes yeah. in terms and, of the seriousness of what's going on in this country.
5: And, and the lesson, uh, if you're if you're uh, a Republican elected official, I'm sure continues to be that the worst thing that's ever happened to American politics is Mitch McConnell getting yelled at over dinner. Um, that all this coming on the heels of this false equivalency that's been drawn over the last few uh, weeks and months between Both uh, sides liberal anger and protest in the streets, on the one hand, and guys with guns going into uh, rooms of, of houses of worship and, and oh, no. families and, By the and, way, and murdering you're, people.
1: You're not making that up. I mean, I've heard that, and I've been, I've been, that's been thrown in my face, too, You know, on a couple of TV appearances. Well, what did you do about Mitch McConnell— or Ted Cruz. Yeah. It's you your know. fault.
5: You provoked us. You but, provoked us.
1: Well, as if that's on a par. I mean, personally, I do not, Peter and I get into this all the time. Personally, I do not support, as a public figure who goes out for dinner, <laughs> sure. I do not sure. like, support yeah. people who would. Yeah, vote your that, interest, Bill. Do yeah. that to me. Right, no, of course. And I wouldn't do it to anybody else, even though I dislike him. If I saw yeah. Mitch McConnell, I would, I would probably say, hello, Senator, and then just move on. I wouldn't say hello. I wouldn't be you know, go out of my way to pretend I
5: liked him. Yeah.
1: But I wouldn't try to get him thrown out of the you room. You got it. if
5: you do, can you do me a favor? If you do see Mitch McConnell, of. can you do me a personal favor? <laughs> and instead of just Depends. saying, hello, Senator. No, what you say is, uh, find a way to ask him about uh, the, the BOFA compromise figure out what he thinks of the BOFA compromise and see if he'll go for it and if you can in person IRL BOFA Mitch McConnell and, and then just send me like a dunk or actually just have Peter tweet a dunk, a dunking yeah. gif some yeah. good dunking gifts for you the thing is you need a tracker I don't yeah okay this sorry this gets logistically complicated because ideally you need Peter to follow you around 24-7 with a phone camera ready in case you run into Mitch McConnell I'm ready to
2: do it man and then you and just then just you about. Wait, uh,
5: oh, I just and we're live. OK, it's got to be something other than the Bofa compromise because I've ruined that. But <laughs> you guys, will, you'll work it out, right? don't. <laughs> yeah, totally. OK, I got it okay. under
2: control. I'm a producer. I produce. All right. Excellent.
5: Thank you. I'm never going out to dinner again now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My point was whatever point I was making, you just destroyed it. But anyway. <laughs> no but to, to, to put that on a par. Right. That's the yeah. point. I mean
5: come yeah. on. It's it's yeah. it's ugly and it's and it's uh I this is a, a hard a hard mood shift to make, but I suspect that that pattern of someone doing violence to you and then turning around and sort of apologizing and, and cooing to you, this is really your fault because you got me so riled up. Um that's gotta sound familiar to a whole lot of people in this country. Yeah. Right. As a pattern of behavior. Hey
1: Alan, it's always good to have you and Thanks so much for today. Okay. Always a pleasure, thanks. Uh, and again, you can follow Alan and all of our good friends over at Think ThinkProgress at thinkprogress.org. Uh, an alumnus of Think Progress. One of the greats there, Igor Volsky, now head of Guns Down joins us next here in studio on the Bill Press Show this Monday, October 29th. Is the Bill Press Show. Hey friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
2: to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: And some of the leading Jews in Pittsburgh this morning say when it comes to the memorial service, Donald Trump is not welcome here. (laughs) We've heard that before. What do you say, everybody? On a Monday, October 29, here we go. It is The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. As we come to you live, as always, from a studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. And it is not good news. A horrific weekend within the spate of 72 hours. Three horrid hate crimes in the United States. Uh, first, these serial bombs received all over the East Coast uh, and some on the West Coast as well. Uh, the tragic shooting down in Kentucky and then the horrific slaughter at the synagogue out in Pittsburgh on Saturday. Uh, and Donald Trump, meanwhile, uh, after a moment out to say we ought to unify, gets right back spewing as much hateful rhetoric as ever before. Uh, help us through this and understand what it's all about, and particularly, here we go again, another mass murder with um, an assault rifle and three handguns. The founder of and leader of Guns Down, Mr. Igor Volsky, our good friend. Good Hi, morning, Bill. Wish you. I was
0: here under better circumstances, but glad it, to be here nonetheless.
1: I know, I know. It's sort of, sort of like. People used to say in L.A. when they heard me on the radio when I would do special like overnights, they said, we hate to hear you on the radio because we know it's bad news. Otherwise, they wouldn't have another show like in the middle of the night, right? That's what I used to have. Now they just say, we hate to hear you on the radio. Now we say, oh, we hate to hear Igor because if you bring Igor in, it's got to be bad news. But no, we want to find out what we can about this and, again, what you're doing about it and what people can do about it. And we want to get your comments on Twitter, please, at BP Show. Follow us. You got a lot to talk about. We know a lot you want to get off your chest. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Igor and I will jump right into it. But first
4: This is off the full
1: to Peter.
2: Alrighty, just a couple of other stories making news. You know what this week is, Bill. It's
1: uh, it is uh wait a minute. Oh. It's um Um, Infrastructure week. (laughs)
2: It's not infrastructure week. No, (laughs) No. it's not infrastructure week. Uh, But Halloween is coming up. It's going to be on a Wednesday this year. And believe it or not, there is a Halloween Industry Association, Mm. which represents companies, Mm. uh, whose interests basically ensure that Americans can can properly have a good Halloween every year. One of the things that they've been lobbying Donald Trump to do is to permanently move Halloween to a Saturday. This is something I'm on board with, by the way. (laughs) I'm on board with it. I am, too. No, I am, too. Donald Trump has not commented on this, just to be clear. This is not something that he's, I don't even think he's going to weigh into these waters. But people are lobbying him and saying, now's the time. Just put it on the weekend.
1: And how about putting voting day on a weekend, too?
2: Also that, or there at least go. make it a national holiday where we all get off. But, yeah. but you know, in terms of <laughs> this, they're saying, like, look, kids that are, for I like example, it. this Wednesday like night, kids are going to go out. Yeah, you just, can't go out until dark. On the dark. school night, it sucks. Uh, exactly. Plus, you get, get home and you eat all this candy. It's not like you're going to go to bed anytime. No, uh, right. Make a good okay. time on Halloween. So. I'm on board. All right, you're on board with I don't care. It. Oh, come
0: on. Don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Next. Don't care. How many people do you have show <laughs> okay. up at your house? <laughs> Uh, well, almost never. I mean, now I moved to this new place. It's very, yeah, that no. might show up, but I'll be in California. I wouldn't even be there. <laughs> uh,
2: speaking of Halloween, here's something <laughs> that you don't want to do. In Hamilton Township, New Jersey, uh, there's a mayor there. Mayor Kelly received a bag of candy that a constituent sent him.
1: Mm-mm.
2: Here's the no. problem: the constituent sent a bag of penis-shaped candy Uh-oh. as a prank for Halloween. No. But because the uh, mayor did not take it very well, he got the cops involved <laughs> and in trying to actually track down <laughs> the person who sent this bag of candy uh, to the mayor. Uh, there was a note along with the candy. Igor,
1: sent- you came from New Jersey.
2: Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you trying to imply just here, saying, Bill? Just saying. Anyway, if that's something that you're thinking about doing, it might not be a very good idea. Because good idea, some anyhow. people will take it very, very personally and actually sick the police on you.
0: I mean I don't care about the shape I care about what kind of candy it is that's my
2: Oh sure no I don't baseline. care at all If you're sending me candy I'm I'm fine well, So gotta- please
0: sh- send your penis shaped candies <laughs> to Peter
2: <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show
1: Yes, he says we've got to unify, and then he turns right around and starts spewing more hate. What do you say, everybody? It is the Bill Press Show here on this Monday, October 29. we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, as always, and our little studio right here on Capitol Hill, uh, where we are keeping track of all the news of the day, what's happening here in Washington, around the country, And around the globe, bringing it to you, and look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day uh, on uh, Twitter, at BP Show. As we join you on just about every platform we can find online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on the great Free Speech TV. Check it out. Join us on TV and all of you out in the Chicago area. Good to see you again today on WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago, the executive director and founder of Guns Down, uh, Igor Volsky here uh, in studio with us uh, to talk, among other things, about um, this uh, hard, hard, horrific, tragic mass shooting at the – Igor, if you would think of any place that would be safe, it's a school or a place of worship?
0: Well, and now we know both of those places have been targets of mass shootings time and time and time again. And, you know, whether it be a school like Sandy Hook, uh, whether it be a church uh, like we saw down in South Carolina several years ago, was it 2014, 2015? Mother Emmanuel Mother Emanuel. Right. Uh, or here in this case, the shooter had an assault weapon that allowed him, and it's usually a he, as we also know. Kill as many people as quickly and efficiently as possible.
1: So this guy had an AR-15 that, that he was using, I guess. So he also had three handguns. Three guns. handguns. And he posted a picture of these three handguns on this weird website, right-wing website. Oh, this is the GAB. GAB, Gab, Gab is that what it is? Yeah. GAB, I think it is. That's right. shut
0: down now, I think, as of this morning.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it. I didn't know the website at all, but it was apparently a, a, a website that attracted anti-Semitic rants, right-wing extremist rants. And the guy said, no, we're just all about free speech. Anybody can say anything they want here. But it was really ugly, ugly well, stuff Well, you know, there.
0: there's, there's several issues here, right? One is the easy access to handguns that this man has and met too many people in America have, the fact that you can – buy an assault weapon and three handguns is fairly outrageous, he probably, I think. probably bought all these three legally. Well, we, we don't know how he bought them, but whether it's legally or illegally, the fact of the he matter is guns them. are way too easy to get, and we have way too many of them. That's issue one. Issue two in this case is the fact that we have a president in a mainstream political party that is actively radicalizing people to violence. We talk a lot about ISIS recruitment and Al-Qaeda recruitment and trying to make sure, remember several years ago, trying to make sure they don't recruit young people. There's that big question, why are young Americans being recruited to ISIS? Yeah, and we saw all of those. Remember Minnesota. that? Yeah. 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 And we saw those recruitment videos. And we had the sense that rhetoric can drive certain people to violent action, right? That's what's happening here. Only here, the radicalizer is the president. And the crazy thing, Bill, is that, you know, he does his best eight bars at sounding contrite and sounding sad. And then he turns around and says the same exact rhetoric that radicalized not just the synagogue killer, but also the bomber. And the question is, why does he knowingly continue to do this? And why do the enablers that are in his party and the voices the conservative voices in the media give him a pass by saying oh it's both sides it is both sides I, and i'm no. sorry if you if you don't know the difference between somebody saying <laughs> if you see a public official in a public space tell them you disagree with them and killing somebody then you don't deserve to be in public life.
1: i have to tell you the thing that drives me most crazy about this is this <laughs> both sides bs yeah and every time I hear it, I just want to scream. No, it's, in fact, I'd even go further. It's not both sides. It's not even most Republicans, right? It's Trump and his enablers, right? But it's particularly one guy, Donald Trump, who we've seen, I mean, so many examples of it. After Charlottesville, there's some very fine people there. Just last week at that rally out in Montana, oh, anybody can body slam a reporter it's
0: my kind of guy. Right. Calling Democrats the mob, calling them evil. You know, Bill, I got to say, though, it it is fairly ubiquitous in conservative circles. As I was walking into the studio, I saw a tweet that I think we all missed this weekend from Ted Cruz saying. Yeah, I didn't see this. Well, he says, did you know that all the Silicon Valley companies donate to to Beto? Is that why they're silencing conservative voices? Is that why they're quietly banning us? I mean, that's the same kind of ideology that leads people to this Gab app that created a marketplace for the Gab app, right? Because all of these folks believe that they're being silenced by Twitter and by Facebook and by Instagram, Uh, and that's where they become radicalized. So all of this, it's so easy to connect these dots that for you to— and you know the royal you here for you to 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 kind of just put your head in the sand and say it's both sides. You're literally enabling terror, in and this all of
1: these conspiracy theories, like the conspiracy, we say that oh God, that's really that's really wacko, that's kind of crazy. But they have an impact. The conspiracy yes. theory surrounding this caravan, yeah, right—that it is George Soros mm-hmm. who who paid to organize it and to support these people all the way, right leads to directly to this mass murder at the synagogue in Pittsburgh where the guys particularly target were Jewish organizations that were helping refugees, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, direct connection. And paid for by prominent American Jew, George Soros. Direct connection.
0: Yeah, and yet you have congressional Republicans. He hears that from Donald Trump,
1: and boom, here's the result. And congressional
0: Republicans reinforce that message by running all kinds of anti-Soros ads. I mean... You know, I, yeah. It, well, anyway. it, it, at some at some point, you ask, "What will it take for you to stop?" Or are you that power hungry that you would want to see this country literally descend into chaos and violence so that you could maintain your power? Why well, don't you stop for a day? Stop for a day, okay? Stop for a day.
1: Yeah. No. Uh, and and maybe stop for a day, and during that time, reflect on the power of words and the power of their particular words and maybe some of the consequences of those. Uh, We have talked before, I think the last time you were in, uh, when I was asking you what can people do, uh, you mentioned uh, midterms, November 6th, right? Yeah. Now we're only eight days away. That still is the answer, isn't it? That still is the answer. In terms of, um, I mean, we have to do a lot more than that. Yeah. But in terms of figuring out where every candidate stands on the issue of Sensible gun safety well, measures. Well,
0: you know, I uh, and speaking in my capacity as an individual, I spent uh, all of this weekend, Bill, right after the shooting on Saturday. You know, and I usually do this, as you know, after a mass shooting, when a law when you start getting the wave of thoughts and prayers mm-hmm. and thoughts and prayers mm-hmm. from the lawmakers who take money from the NRA and only think and pray right. and do nothing. No, right? You've been very so very good at that. What I did this weekend is every single member who tweeted their thoughts and prayers. I tweeted how much money they took from the NRA. I tweeted who their opponent is in the midterms, and then I tweeted a link for how to donate to that opponent, and then I said vote, vote, vote. And I did that about, mm, I think 56 times. And <laughs> these were 56 these are 56 Republicans. Republicans, who Republicans. Said-
1: our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and mm-hmm. uh, their families yes. in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so
0: if you go to my Twitter, at Igor yeah, on Twitter, the top pinned tweet. I'm sorry, whoa, 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 tweet whoa, 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 slow
1: down. Where?
0: On Twitter, just to my account, @IgorVolsky, at Igor At Igor You'll okay. see the top pinned tweet is a link and a table uh, of, all of, of all of those folks. So you have a one-stop shop, and we're still adding to it, and you can submit to it as well, a one-stop shop of members who've taken thousands of dollars from the NRA and in that time have sent thoughts and prayers after every single mass shooting like clockwork and of course continue to obstruct and to lie about gun reforms that can save people's lives.
1: But in terms of talk about what's at stake in these midterms, right? I mean, that's got to be it's got to be right up there at the top, near the top. You know, I mean just I'd love to see Democrats take back the House and the Senate, but just taking back the House,
0: yeah, right. Having, it, you know, we we talk about this. We talked about this, you know, in past midterm elections, and and we all always said this is such an important election. You got to vote. You got to vote. Yeah. But here, Bill, if this president doesn't have a check on his power from the House, can you imagine where we're going to descend to? I mean, we're literally now in a place where he's knowingly radicalizing people into violence. If he has no check on his power, if he can keep going and going and going, who knows? I mean, who literally knows what's going to happen? It, it's I, I, so for people who who still sit there and say, my vote don't matter or I'm not going to vote or it's all rigged or whatever, whatever. Just know that if change isn't coming and we just get kind of further and further into the abyss, you'll only have yourself to blame. I mean, you got, I can't, I don't understand how you can't look at what's happening in this country and sit on your hands and shrug.
1: Would you say there were 59 that you identified so far?
0: Yeah, it's like 56 or 59. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's more, there's more. I mean, that's just, for, that was the first wave. I mean, right. there are, other, so like Ted, I have to add Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz isn't on that.
1: I was going to ask you, yeah. were these all House or somewhere?
0: There's or a combination of, of House and Senate.
1: Right. Um, no, but back to what you were just saying. It's unthinkable to me that anyone could look at the damage that this guy has done in less than two years. In so many areas. Yeah. Right? And not put, not say... Whoa! We've got to we, we 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 got to step up here, right? And yeah, and put a real roadblock yeah. in his ability to do even more serious mm-hmm. damage in the next two years. Because mm-hmm. you know, if if God forbid Democrats fail at both the House and the Senate, he will see that as a total mandate to go absolutely bonkers crazy. Oh
0: yeah! I mean, absolutely. He, I I don't think we could have predicted when he was first elected, that this is where we would be. I don't think we could have. I honestly don't think we could have predicted that we would have had a president who's inciting people to violence and continues to do it. I, after the shooting, did you see this? After the, the synagogue shooting, he had his rally, which he still held. Oh, yeah. And they were waiting for him to enter the rally. And not only were they chanting, lock her up, but they also played happy The song, the Pharrell song, Happy, hours after the synagogue shooting. Now, you're either completely tone deaf or there's just something incredibly wrong with you that that's how you would just celebrate the moment Mm -hmm. with the song Happy. After 11 Jews lost their lives, you play Happy and you have a fun, raucous rally. I mean, what is wrong with you? What
1: is God, yeah. wrong with you? And also, D- Donald Trump, where he starts out by uh, the idea, people are saying, is he going to tone it down, right? Well, he turns that into a joke, right? About yeah, it's a joke. People. Yeah, but this is Saturday night, I believe, in Illinois. Here he is.
3: And if you don't mind, I'm going to tone it down just a little bit. Is that okay? No. <laughs> Well, you're from Illinois. I had a feeling you might say that. I know you well. I had a feeling you might say
1: that. Yeah, just really mocking the whole idea, right, that we have to have a different tone. Yeah, Or that maybe his hate-filled rhetoric ever had any impact or mm-hmm. anything, right? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Or that there's anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. He just goes right back to it. Yeah. Who are these people? Who come to these rallies? And
0: I mean, that's frankly what I'm what I'm wondering uh, is who who are these people? And I imagine that it's the same kind of people to when I you know talk about and tweet about how we need to build a future with fewer guns, how we need to make guns significantly harder to get, how we have way too many guns, more than any other nation. We have more
1: than, we have the number of Americans, don't we? Yeah,
0: we have 393 million guns in civilian hands. That's that's more than our than our overall population. I get a lot of people, Bill, who say to me on Twitter, well, why don't you come and get them? Why don't you man up and come oh, yeah. and get them? And so, you know, vaguely threatening to kill me is how these folks respond to, you know, an argument that I have that you may not agree with me on, but you, but the, the, the notion that we can just have a conversation is out the window, certainly probably with the folks who go to his rallies and with a lot of the folks who, who do this stuff online. Um, and it, it, it creates a toxic environment. It really does. And, you know, I often think about this is that, you know, I kind of became politically aware kind of towards the towards the tail end of the, of the Bill Clinton administration and became interested in politics and obviously now work in politics because I believe that if I make a clear argument to people in a convincing way, I can change hearts and minds, right? Mm-hmm. And if I were coming of age now and I think of all the kids and all the young people, would I think that I could make a difference, that an argument can make a difference? I don't know. Yes, I don't know.
1: Yes, I'm I just so, want to interrupt really yes. quickly because I'm still so a uh, believer. He's uh, tweeting. He's oh, tweeting.
2: Oh, uh, he about is,
1: baseball or no. um.
2: He's tweeting about the great anger in our country. Here he says, quote, there is a great anger in our country caused in part by inaccurate and even fraudulent reporting of the news. The fake news media, the true enemy of the people. There you go. Must stop the open and obvious hostility and report the news accurately and fairly. That will do much to put out the flame of anger and outrage. And we will then be able to bring all sides together in peace and harmony. Fake news must end. So again, it's anybody's fault but his own
1: So after um, the bombing suspect right after Kentucky and after Pittsburgh it's the media's fault it's all the media's fault the medias fault which is of course the meme that he's had from the very very beginning of his of his administration fake news eager is there anything happening as frustrated as we get by Congress is there anything happening I keep looking at the states what's happening at the state level is there any sensible, Gun safety measures happening at the state level?
0: Yes. Yeah, so do you want to? You, 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 I mean, no. He's like, Igor has been too sad. This I know. Segment. I want some oh, good, good news. Something positive. I want people to know that at least at one <laughs> level,
1: there are some good things happening.
0: Yeah. So on the state level, and like you- Which the gets to- is,
1: this is continuing against the importance of state legislative races. Yes, yes, and, and governors races. Yes, absolutely. All, all up yes. in
0: 2018, right? Uh, vote, vote, vote. Exactly. So on the state level, there's actually been a tremendous amount of progress, and most gun laws are made on the state level. Yeah. So that's yes. good news, right? So you've had after Parkland a whole host of different states pass all kinds of laws. Chief among them have been these ERPO laws emergency risk protection order, nailed it, okay. uh, laws that allow individuals, including law enforcement in many cases, to petition the court to uh, to temporarily take somebody's guns away if that individual is experiencing a moment of crisis. And so that would be a situation where if uh, you feel like your loved one is either suicidal or is expressing violent mm, thoughts, mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. this person has firearms, you can petition a judge to ask law enforcement to take that individual's firearms away for a mm. set period of time. And those laws c- could have prevented the Parkland shooting. Um, and also, they did prevent Maybe a shooting- Maybe the one in Pittsburgh. Maybe I mean, the one in, who knows?
1: Putting but up stuff on, on the website, bragging about how many guns he had. I mean- but, but, but also it, it
0: did prevent right after the um, uh, Perkland shooting, there was an incident where a person a, a students high school students, he had a whole cachet of weapons and all of that was seized under the state's ERPL laws and he had jo- ju- journals this individual about shooting up his school. And so that was a clear case where this law prevented probably you know another mass tragedy. Um, and so that has been, you know, something mm. that uh, has come out of Parkland that has yeah. r- really, I think, is going to ultimately save a lot of lives. And other states have picked it up. And other states have picked it up. I think it's about 12 states, somewhere around there mm-hmm. now. Uh, and, of course, there's legislation in Congress for a national ERPO as well. Right. Bump Bump stocks? Well, so bump stocks uh, is something that only came into public consciousness after the after Vegas shooting, Vegas, when fifty-nine right. people, I believe, were killed. Um, that I think is now going through the regulatory process um, with here at the here national at level. The national but I was level. just wondering again there about are states, I believe, that have banned them. Yes, and uh, they ha- they I believe those kinds of accessories. Had already been banned in some of the states with the with the tightest gun laws, like state like New York, for instance, where it's uh, particularly New York City, where it's incredibly difficult um, to to get a firearm. But you know, the bump stocks are just the tip of the iceberg because. The firearm industry has been producing all kinds of new weapons that take higher caliber bullets and rounds and that cause a lot more damage to the human body and so you now have surgeons saying um, and and other medical professionals that wounds that they could have Uh, treated more easily in the past and they could have saved lives in the past, they can't anymore because these firearms are becoming so powerful. And of course the firearm industry is doing this because they're facing a real problem. You have fewer and fewer people who actually own guns and so to continue growing they have to They have to be marketing and producing new products to that same crowd. And so the products are getting deadlier and deadlier and deadlier. And, of course, that's causing more carnage out in our streets.
1: And as far as the laws go, I'm thinking about what happened here in Washington, D.C., which had a pretty strict gun, gun safety. Pardon me.
0: Yep. Yeah, so so here here in D.C. Oh, uh,
1: only the second time in my life I've sneezed <laughs> on air. I'm Ooh. very sorry, but I couldn't such, stop it.
0: Such an honor to be there for for, for, for to be here <laughs> Just for this. what you know, is a historic
1: <laughs> moment. Uh, <laughs> but I'm thinking about Washington D.C. and what yeah. happened is the Supreme Court said, no, you know, you can't do that. What you're doing here with guns. So do states have the authority to enact? A stricter gun. Yeah, so you know, uh,
0: you're referring to the Heller case uh, from 2008, which found, for the first time in American history, that there is a constitutional right to self-defense in the home. D.C. had a law banning handguns or not banning uh, – really putting really tight restrictions on, on handguns and how they can be stored and all, all of that stuff, um, essentially a ban. Uh, and so in the aftermath of that, and that was a decision written by Justice Scalia, in which he actually left a lot of room for it, yes, the government yeah. to regulate firearms. If you read his,
1: if you majority, read opinion, his majority opinion, it, it, bas- it makes the point – I'm not saying – that no gun control measures right. are right. are valid. Right. there are those that are valid. Yeah. And so
0: since then, um, he's uh, states across the country have enacted all kinds of strict regulations from uh, the, uh, requiring people to to have a gun to requiring people to obtain a permit or a license to own a gun. And all of those have been upheld by lower courts. The higher court has not reconsidered this question. Um, And so what we've seen is tough laws in states like Connecticut, I mentioned New York, Massachusetts, California, And in those states, Bill, because the guns are harder to get, you have fewer instances of gun deaths. And this is everything. This is suicides. This is homicides. This is accidental shootings. This is the... There's a lower chance that police will kill an unarmed individual if the state has fewer guns. And there's also a fewer chance that an individual, a criminal, will kill a police officer if there's fewer guns, and those guns are harder to get in the state.
1: All right, so it is GunsDown, GunsDownAmerica.org, but the most important uh, reference today, I think, site to go to today is Igor's Twitter account, at Igor Volsky. Yes, and that,
0: as as in my private capacity, I put together this document for folks uh, that uh, allows them to take a look at who the members are, sending their thoughts and prayers, and then what you can do to make sure they're not, they're no lo- they can no longer do that next year. <laughs> they're at, not in power.
1: At Igor Volsky, where um, you know, in terms of, we've talked before about how important it is to get involved in these midterms, uh, and not not just for your own representative. Maybe you live in a safe district. There are a lot of people around the country. You can help. call
0: bank from anywhere for these people.
1: Yes, absolutely, and and more and more people are doing that. Yes, uh, but one little guide, if you want a voter guide on this important issue of gun safety is at Igor Volsky, where he's identified some 56 or more uh, candidates that you ought to support because the person they're running against is a champion of the NRA. That's right. Uh, You know, just to, to, to have a chance to really undermine the political might of the NRA and to prove there's such a
0: that i mean and that's what i'm that's what i always hollow, tell people it's not we know how to solve this problem we know how to do it politically and we know how to do it on the policy level politically you got to just take power away from members of congress who take money from the nra you just have to vote and in terms of policy, we know the things that work, right? They're licensing, uh, they're banning assault weapons, and all of that. You, that's the next stage, right, once we have um, uh, members and, and, and bodies of Congress that are actually susceptible and are ready to actually work on this issue as opposed to simply demagoguing no, Very, it.
1: very good point. We got, thanks to uh, Guns Down and other organizations, we know what we've got to do. We've got the agenda. You're right, right? We just need the people who will support it and vote for it. Uh, and you can help again by going to at Igor Volsky. Igor, thanks so much for coming Thank in. you so much, Bill. Uh, hey, let's get away from politics for a while and look at some of the challenges that we all face and ought to be thinking about uh, as uh, members of this country, members of the city, of your state, or just the human race. Uh, David Burrell is the head of Future IQ Partners is going to join us in studio next year. Thanks again to Igor Volsky. Stay tuned, a quick break, and we'll be right back on this Monday edition of The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, October 29, what do you say? Great to see you today. Good to have you with us as we reach out to you nationwide, in fact, all around the globe from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you online, of course, on the radio and on television, where we're brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, those good men and women. They are the fastest growing labor union in this country today, making enormous strides um, with uh, more people on, on the job than ever before. I heard from uh, President Terry O'Sullivan of the Laborers just last week. Uh, check out their website at LIUNA, Labor's Union of North America, LIUNA, L I U N A, builds America.org. I wanted to uh, take a little different approach here in this half hour, get away from the news of the day. We don't take enough time to think about maybe not just where we are, but where we are going um and our our guest uh, David Burl is head of an organization that does just that it's called, it's called just that it's called future IQ uh the CEO and founder David Burl in studio with us David's good to see you Bill great to be here thank you and welcome so um when did you start future IQ and kind of so you're looking ahead right saying hey guys you got some problems today but here's some of the things you ought to be thinking about coming down the road, right? Yeah,
6: that's right, yeah. And what kind of people or yeah. people you're helping? Yeah, so that? so I founded Future IQ um, 15 years ago, and we're a, a research and a consultancy company. Um, and we're really, I guess, the real interest, like what drove me to found this company was a kind of an insight that I had about how important it is for us to think about the future and what the future implications and consequences are of decisions we're making today. Yeah, and at that point I was working in Australia in an agricultural setting, and you know, we were looking at you know, future of feeding the world and so on. And I, I really started to understand that this longer term view is critically important. And you know, I think we understand that. I mean, we talk about emotional intelligence and those sort of things, um, you know, and, and how that can we can understand ourselves. Um, but I'm interested in future intelligence, you know, our ability to be able to think about and anticipate the future. Um, and our clients, we, we primarily work in North America, Europe, and Australia. Um, so our clients will be uh, cities that are going through large-scale planning processes, or regional uh, consortiums, or industries. Uh, we do a fair bit actually in the U.S. with Department of Defense-funded projects hmm. in mm-hmm. regional communities that that may have. Well, oh, they have a lot of um, important issues. A lot of – and, and yeah. tourism and the impact of tourism in different areas. So, yeah, we yeah. work all over the board. and But the common unifying th- theme through all of that is helping people really think through how do they position themselves for the future.
1: What do you think uh, – what do you see as the biggest challenges that we, you know, <laughs> we humans
6: on the planet here face? Well, there, I think there are four big, four big themes right? That are, that are shape almost every issue you, you can fit into one of these themes. So I think the four big themes are that we're going through this historic period of mass urbanization, changing demographics and societal values. So that's one big theme and that's global and, and national and regional. Um, another big theme is the shifting power in the world, the way the power and, and influence is changing um, uh, internationally. Um, the third big theme is is around I think the resource side of things, which is energy, food, water, and climate change. That that mm. whole package of you know the our consumption and production and how we sort of look after ourselves as human beings. Um, and then of course, of course, the fourth one is the implications of the next industrial revolution. So technology and this whole wave that we're going into that's all about artificial intelligence, robotics, genomic medicine, and so on. Um, and I think those four big factors. Uh, are literally, whether we know it or not, are reshaping society, humans, what it is to be human, how we live. You know, we can't quite see what it's going to look like down the track, right? But but they're the factors that are shaping it.
1: Well, it's interesting because you mentioned those um, challenges um, as future challenges, but we're
6: experiencing them already today. I mean in many ways. Right? A- absolutely. And and the, the challenge, I think, is for people to be able to grapple with this is we're so used to dealing with sort of instant issues, you know, cause and effect straight away. Um, what we're talking about are trend lines that may take decades to play out. And so the implications can be slow moving. So so how do you start to sort of understand what trajectory you're on? That's the important part. So for a city, for example, you know, people are people are really sort of debating a short term, you know, a budget cycle or an election cycle of you know two to four years, yeah. not really thinking about where might we be in ten years or may, where might we be in fifteen years. You know, how do we think about what's the implication of autonomous vehicles? How does that change our investment in public infrastructure, for example? Or or what what's the implication of having an aging population of baby boomers who are going to go into retirement and live long lives and have active active lifestyles? Now, how does a city plan for that? Um, So they're all those sort of longer-term trend lines. And that's what we really try and bring to our work is trying to map out those trend lines and help people think about, well, which direction do we want to go? What are the implications?
1: Are we experiencing change today faster uh, than any other um, you know decade or group generation
6: or does it just seem that way uh, no I, I I from our work I would definitely say we are and and what we're really facing because and what dry, underpins all of that is technology so technology you know is a, is a real catalyst for change in every area of our life um, but technology moves at an exponential rate so it's continually speeding up the, uh, the sort of speed of change, but what we I think what we're seeing, Bill, is that all these technologies are now starting to converge. We've never really had, I think, an environment, and I don't think we're there yet, right? So this is something I see that's you know five or ten years out, which is when when things like autonomous vehicles, artificial intelligence, drones, you know, you know predictive analytics, you know, all those things, when they all converge, what happens then? You know, what happens when systems can become smart? You know, that you know people talk about the Internet of Things, and when it all connects together, you know, what, what starts to evolve then? And I, I think, you know, a lot of what you see is the pushback in society at the moment is people's reaction to things are going too fast. You know, and people just want to hit the brake a little bit and slow things down. Yeah, I feel that way sometimes. I try to be open to as
1: much change as possible. I find it very exciting. Yeah. Right? Uh, not threatened
6: by it but at the same time sometimes you wonder whoa well we like we like things to be familiar right so you know but but if if everything's changing all at once all around us like at the level of technology and the people who live next to us and what we hear on the news and societal values and then we hear about climate change and all this is piling in upon us i think it can be quite discern you know dislocating for people you mentioned climate change a couple of times so um
1: I mean, I've looked at your website and uh, you have a very impressive roster of clients, city of San Diego, as I recall. Yes, Tuscany yes, um, yes. some of the big uh, um, agricultural um, pro- producers and and the Department of Defense. yes. And too. But I would imagine that climate change is something that impacts everybody, right? Yeah, so it, I mean, it, cities, it
6: particularly coastal cities. Yes, right? yes. Well, and, and that's that's also tied to I think that we're going through a period of mass urbanisation. So on the planet, we have now passed the point in history where there's more people who live in urban environments to live in rural areas, and so and that f- trend is going to accelerate. Um, but if you just take the US, if you look at the figures in the US, in 1950, uh, we had 100 million people living in cities. In 2010, it was 255 million people living in cities. We're gonna add another 100 million people to cities in the US alone between now and 2050. So what that does is it changes the whole configuration. Who's gonna be left in the country? Very <laughs> few people is probably the, probably the case. And, and that's, I, I think there's, that's one of the major societal reconfigurations that's occurring is that you know, we have, uh, in many cases, actually it's a stable population in rural areas. But I think what the data covers is it's the same people who were there in 1980 are there today. So while the population is a flat line, that's an aging population. And and I come from a rural area. I mean, I grew up on a farm. I went to a primary school with 24 kids. I rode a horse to school. I have a a deep history and love for, for that landscape. Um, but I have some questions about.
1: About that, how many kids, Peter? <laughs> how many people do you know who rode a horse to school? I can't say I knew many. No,
2: sorry. Uh, uh,
6: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah. and so, so it was a two cl- two class schoolroom in the middle of nowhere. And we, I remember, we had a there was no televisions, right? And but somebody brought in a, a portable black and white television. And I watched Neil Armstrong land on the moon from the other classroom in this two class. <laughs> uh, whoa! T- yeah. Wow! Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> But, but I, I, Come a long way. Yeah, life's a bit different, right? But I think that's that part of the issue is that when you see, I mean, how far away are we from farms being fully autonomous, for example? So we already have very large mines in the world that are trying to go to fully autonomous. So what happens to the employment base in rural areas? So I think people are naturally congregating into cities or into urban locations for a number of reasons, right? They want to be there for the vibrancy. They want to find partners. They want jobs and so on. But that's a major reconfiguration of society that I don't think we've really got our heads around yet in terms of what are the big implications of that. Well, and it seems to me, therefore, the, the, uh, the, the challenges
1: for cities then really escalate because how are they going to absorb all of these people, right? Yep. Where are they going to house all these people? Yep. And unless they're just going to spread, spread, spread out, that means higher, higher, I would imagine, well, right? And mixed kind of density,
6: Higher density, and then yep. you get
1: to the whole transportation issue.
6: Absolutely. How and are you going to move these people around? That's right. And and if you just take the U.S., right, you see. And
1: why do these people? I'm sorry, I just yeah, my mind's going crazy. Why do these people need a driver's license
6: if yep. they're? Well, they won't. So that's right. That, I mean, fewer and fewer people. Maybe fewer people cars out on the road. Okay. I don't know. So, so so good. So let's just play this out a little bit, right? So this whole this whole topic that you're touching on here is about how might cities evolve. And if you just, like here we are in D.C., you drive around here anywhere and what do you see? Cranes in the sky, right? But you see that in every major city in the world. And it's just this incredible concentration of people who are piling into uh, closer to the centres of of major cities. Now, we're going to add 100 million people to cities in this country, as I said, well, they're going to go somewhere. Um, But I think it's such a fascinating topic to think about all those things you just mentioned. So transportation, how how does that evolve? How does... How do we design cities so that we're not just crowded and it's noisy and it's uncomfortable, but how do we design it so that we're efficient with resources and we have mm-hmm. you know, peaceful locations and we can live without you know, rubbing and creating friction with each other? Um, in fact, we're doing a, um, conducting a global think tank uh, on the very topic of the future of urban living, which we're uh, partnering with Windsor Castle, which is the Queen of England's hmm. primary residence, um, so we're doing a residential uh, global think tank there in December this year for two days. So bringing together experts in artificial intelligence and longevity and healthy living and you know architects and you know, people who plan urban spaces to really think through what does this mean? So what what might be the different versions of cities? Um, and what are the policy settings we need to be have, have in place to be able to create a decent outcome for humanity, most of whom now are going to be living in, these ever-dense and increasingly large cities. So, give us a,
1: a little insight into what those cities are gonna be like. First of all, I, I mentioned, I don't know why, I think as I was just talking to my niece and nephew over the weekend who are just at the age of getting their driver's license, and yeah. I was talking about, I know so many friends who live in Washington, D.C., who don't have a driver's license, yep. and were, never never plan to get one, because they just want always to want to live in a city, yes, and plan to, yes, uh, and so so will cities. Uh, are, are autonomous vehicles? You mentioned those, yes. vehicles, but that's 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 here, right? I mean, yes, that, that's no turning that back. All vehicles are going to be autonomous vehicles soon you would expect so i
6: mean that there's no there's Think no about that <laughs> well that's right and that includes trucks by the way right yeah of course and in fact if you look at it there are already uh, long-haul truck fleets that are starting to go autonomous in europe particularly they're putting lanes on the autobahns that are dedicated for autonomous trucks i mean in europe they have snow players on airports that are autonomous vehicles already i mean we have mine sites and at the moment Mostly that is- you, you said that before mine sites. You mean actually mines, like mines. coal mines? Uh, or, yeah, iron ore mines. Yeah, where yeah. you have haul trucks and rock crushers and trains it's all going autonomous, going autonomous. That's the that's absolutely the intention, and and farming as well. And and why that's happening in those places first, is that you have less danger of collateral damage. So, for example, oh, if you have yeah. autonomous vehicles in a controlled site. If if it doesn't work out, then you're not going to just sort of, you know, accidentally yeah. run over some pedestrians or something like that. But, I mean, that technology is accelerating dramatically. But I think the real benefit of that is that it's what will happen to public spaces or spaces in a city. So if you think of a car, most people's vehicle probably spends 90% of its time stationary, parked somewhere, right. in a parking garage, a ramp on the street at home, whatever. Well, if we end up with... These sort of fleets of mobile autonomous vehicles that potentially frees up an enormous amount of real estate, and so that may be one of the potentials for cities to be able to mm, have, absorb more. Huh? Well, maybe not just pack more people in, but create yeah. oh, more oh, more oh, space. Too. Sure. So if you think of, of streets and and how they might transform, that they become more like sort of corridors of commuting. One of so we do a lot of work, and you know we probably work in with 100,000 people a year or something like that. I mean, we're in the laboratory of real life in our work. Um, and one of the macro trends I'm seeing in almost every community, city community that I'm working with is what we call nodes and modes. So people's appetite for how to live in a city is really coming down to people are saying they wanna have neighborhood experiences. So I wanna have that little close neighborhood where I can go get a coffee or do my shopping mm. or you know whatever my recreation is. Um, and I want to be able to get around to other nodes and I want to be able to do that in a multimodal way. So I want to be able to get on public transit or just grab a, an Uber or or walk or ride a bike. or. And so that's a really interesting change in relationship because I think what we're facing, Bill, is we're, we're about to start to look at the other side of what human life is where we're not dominated by automobiles. So you and I grew up in a life where... Yeah. Yeah, you know, Our right. desire was to get our driver's license as soon as we could, as you said, right? Get our car as soon as we could. Most of our suburbs or uh, city landscapes are designed around vehicles. What happens when we're on the other side of that? And I think this is going to tie into generational change because most policymakers or people who are in leadership roles are probably close to a baby boomer era, right? Yeah. And in this country, they grew up when you know interstate systems were being rolled out. And it's almost a given that... You know, those big road systems, that's your salvation, that'll bring you economic vitality. You know, we do a lot of work, as I was saying, in tourism locations, often around, like around Seattle or Portland, where you've got this blast zone of people who go out on weekends and recreate, um, and there's this enormous congestion occurring. You talk to the young planners, millennial planners, they're looking at, how do we just get these cars off the road? You know, how do we have different modes of transportation that reduce that congestion? So, I think part of the tipping point we're going to see in the next 10 years is the real possibility of what is it like for human beings living wherever, in cities or the fringes around cities, where we aren't car dependent anymore. You know, where car ownership's not necessary. Yeah. And it's not necessarily how we get around.
1: I I, I don't think we're that far away from that point, are we? I mean, not in your lifetime or mine, maybe, but. But we're heading there. Well, and,
6: and there are places in the world that are already very close to that. You know, your, your previous guest was talking about there, there's more guns in the U.S. than people. Well, yeah. in Amsterdam, there's new, more bikes than there are people. So the predominant form of mobility there is people ride their bikes around. And so and there are cities like Copenhagen that have stated intentions to go car free or, or at least have the option of you can live in that city and do everything you want without needing to have car ownership. So we are we are very close to that now. I think some of the settings in the U.S. in terms of policy will make that a little slower to happen, but but we are very close to that. Right? Uh, does that mean suburbs shrink
1: as more people move out of the suburbs into the city itself, or?
6: Yeah, well, that's that's part of. Some people of, will
1: still prefer the suburban yeah, lifestyle, well, I guess, and that's
6: part of the sort of social fabric. But but again, yeah. it sort of becomes that uh, nodes and modes, which people. You know, most most people I think who are looking at suburbs and how they might evolve, um, the desire for people is to have some sort of infill because typically what's happening is people are getting older, living well, and they they want to age in place, but they want to have access to services. So what Uh, we're starting to see is sort of infill in terms of those suburbs as well. You mentioned earlier. I'm curious about drones. Yes, I mean, are we so? If we are
1: on the cusp of the post automobile era. Are we on the cusp of the drones everywhere for everything, era too? or I mean, is Jeff
6: Bezos really smoking pot when he says he's going to be delivering packages with drones? I, 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 I doubt it, and I think that's quite probable, right? But I think it's probably one of a whole range of distribution technologies. So whether it's, you know autonomous vehicles of whatever scale it doesn't have to be a car scale it can be much smaller right or it could be drones or it could be well there you know, are androids these, yeah, there are yeah.
1: I, I saw a guy walking <laughs> walking across a park that's saw so and he had this was this, this little thing was going along and i said what the hell is that and it was delivering groceries yeah he was just happened to be walking along with it because i guess it was a maybe a model or a test model or something that's like right that. and
6: and yeah and those pieces are already starting you you see you know you can have vacuum cleaners now that look after themselves and and mowers, and and but at the moment all of that technology is occurring sort of separately right and what i think is going to be very interesting is when it converges you Now, when when those things come together into macro systems that's where that's where change will accelerate again to another to another level of warp speed um now for some people, that can be a little bit terrifying, right? And But, but I do find that humans have been incredibly adaptable. I mean, we have absorbed all sorts of change and industrial revolutions and technological revolutions, um, and the, the technology is getting better to the point where it's becoming much more intuitive. It, I believe it offers the promise for us to really solve a lot of the large issues, you know, of how how do we create meaningful quality of life for people, you know, in older well, populations and so on. Yeah, I mean... Uh,
1: how we, how much time we have for leisure, right? How much time yeah. we have for re- recreation? How much time we're still at the workplace or so yes. something? That it all is. It's all part of what's evolving. What it, in, in terms of the Defense Department? Yes. What are the biggest things that? Uh, certainly, climate change does impact them. We know down at Norfolk. That's probably yeah. I think the one city that's most prone to rising sea levels. Um, but that's also changing, right? The whole way of of making
6: war or what armies do, right? What their role is. is well, that, Is uh, that
1: what you, some of
6: the things you look at with them? Yeah, not so much. Our, our work with the Department of Defense is in regions that have some sort of significant military uh, exposure. So it might be a major contractor, for example, that makes you know, you know, components or, or vehicles or so on. Um, and what happens is that defense contracts, as you know, are fairly lumpy. You know, they're, they're large and they come and go. Um, and that can often have a very large impact on those regional workforces. Yeah. So we help them build resilience and think about how do they not like, lose that capability or how do they not cannibalize their other businesses when contracts come in. Right. Um, so we help them try and just plan through and work through sort of ups and downs in their cycle. So when you look ahead, what do you think
1: that, that, that some of the biggest changes that we're going, that we're, we're going to see, uh, no matter where we are? I guess. So yep. if it does change, depending on where we live in the United States, a pretty advanced yep. civilization versus people in Bangladesh, for example. Right? Sure.
6: So I, I think there's two big things. And um, the first one, probably closer to home for us all, is um, the demographic changes. So we're in the midst of a change, a generational sea change between in the US between baby boomers and millennials. So they're the two big Population Mm -hmm. cohorts, the two big bubbles. Um, Baby boomers are exiting out of the system into retirement. They'll also exit out of it in terms of leadership roles. Um, That's going to create a vacuum, and you're going to see the other generations come in. Um, The societal values that are embedded in those two generations are, in many cases, profoundly different. And so I think we're going to see quite a rapid shift in in how society views things and how, you know, the sort of decisions that people make. So I think yep. that's a big one close to home. And I, I think we underestimate the impact of that because it's going to trickle right down, right through to Everything the food else, that right. people eat and, you know, cars people own and all those type of issues, right? Um, the other big issue that I think is, um, is really about feeding the world. So we look a lot at things like uh, mm-hmm. food supply and we work in a lot of agricultural industries and we've done scenarios on the global food industry Um, But there's this growing disconnect in the world between where food can be grown and where food's going to need to be consumed, right? So if you map out population growth, uh, where that's occurring, and you overlay climate change, right? So here's the big one, right? So we see most of the population growth occurring through the equatorial region, so India, Mm -hmm. Africa, places like that.
1: Yeah, uh, you hear that music, I mean, we're just... Well, you start talking about the future, there's so many, many questions and so little time. Fascinating stuff, David. Thanks so much for coming in. You can check it out at future-iq.com and find out more about all these challenges. And then the rest of the day is yours, folks. Make the most of it. Come back and see us again tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show. Good stuff.